And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kewl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kewl. And guys, boy, oh boy, we have us another great show today here on this Thursday Quick Shift Edition. Now, it's now granted, it is two Quick Shift Editions in one week, but that is okay. Kind of, you know, didn't feel like doing a full two and a half hours on Tuesday because I had stuff going on. And uh, how are we doing today, everybody? Everyone doing well? I hope so. Of course, you're watching us here on TKS on 12 Ounce Sports. 12 Ounce Sports right down there in the corner. Check us out. Of course, you're watching us. It means you're watching us on the YouTube, the Facebook, the Twitters, or even Zingo TV channel 761. If you want to check out Zingo TV, 12 Ounce Sports isn't the only group on there. There's a lot of cool channels and sites to check out. Go on there. Use the promo code 12 Ounce. That's the number one, the letter two, letter O, the letter Z or Z for you improper English users. Check out Zingo TV. And of course, since we're on 12 Ounce Sports, we got to thank the people that make this show possible. As always, mybookie.ag down there in the corner. Guys, the U.S. Open started today. Don't know how anyone did. I've been pretty busy. But you can gamble on it. You can also gamble on the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs. Those are games going on tonight. Baseball. I don't know how baseball's been going because I've honestly I've been so focused on the Euros, and you can bet on the Euros as well. Did anyone watch the Denmark game today? Denmark versus Belgium. Guys, I thought the Danish had it. And then Belgium show that they were Belgium, the number one team in the world. And unfortunately, they were the Danish. That was that was a great game. I honestly cried. I honestly cried. For those that don't know the story with Denmark, the the Danish star player, Christian Eriksen, had a cardiac event, had a cardiac arrest on the pitch in their first match against Finland. They actually had to postpone the game. The public support for not just the Danish football club, but the but Christian Eriksen himself, he's doing well in the hospital, recovering, but it was really cool because the Belgian team, I forgot the player that scored the goal in their first match, but he came out and said, or pretty much was in support. So, hey, man, I love you. And then, of course, the Danish, everyone in Denmark's like, we like that guy. Unfortunately, he plays for the Belgian team, so they play each other today. Denmark scores in the second minute of the match, and everyone's going, oh, my gosh, it actually is. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're, are they actually going to win this game? They honestly, unfortunately didn't. Belgian came back in the second half. They did a really cool thing in the 10th minute because Ericsson's number is number 10. They put the ball off to the side of the Belgians. The crowd, pretty much the crowd, the players, the ref, the coaches, everybody stood up and cheered for a whole minute. It was really cool. And the crazy part was, if you didn't watch any of the specials, the hospital where Ericsson is recovering in is about, I think, like half a kilometer away from the stadium or something like that. It was something really close to there and it was a real cool scene but yeah you can bet on the euros on mybookie.ag use the promo code 12 ounce sports that's how you tie it all together kids but yeah lots of great matches going on i've been following that pretty crazy if you ever follow me on twitter at tjku29 you know that that i love the i love the footy i love the football and of course you almost forgot our awesome sponsor up there in the corner second string leather company hashtag crafted from the craze i don't know guys if you wanted to get something for your dad it'd get there by sunday for father's day but you can get him a belated gift. Heck, I remember I got my dad's Christmas gift two weeks after the fact. It wasn't from Second String Leather Company. It's from a different, you know, website. But I still got some cool stuff for him. And you can, too, on Second String Leather Company, secondstringleather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. On today's program, we have coffee. Unofficially sponsored by Death Wish Coffee. Yeah, there we go. Hits you right. Hits you right where you need it. 
This Death Wish powered show is going to feature game talk between the Nashville, Nashville, the New York Islanders. I don't know. I was thinking Nashville. I was thinking about bearing it. Uh, we're going to look at getting paid and turnage on next week. One of next week's shows. That's me. That's what I was thinking. Nashville. We're talking New York Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning game three tonight at Nassau Coliseum. We'll get a preview for that game. We'll talk about some big news that's going on. Carolina has their bench boss for at least a few years at literally chump change for what he's really worth. But you know what? That's what they wanted to do. That's what they were willing to pay. And that's what Brendan Moore, I mean, the coach that they had, I'm trying to tease you, but you all know who it is. Rod Brendan Moore signing. We'll get into more of those details. We'll also talk about a gentleman that won the Willie O'Ree Community Award, a former Red Wing, actually, in fact, winning that award as well, including also GM of the Year candidates have been announced. We'll get to all that. And we're going to be joined by a guest today. He is none other than Nick Alberga from Sportsnet 590 The Fan up in Toronto. His second appearance here on TKS will be focusing on the series that had a game two last night that was rather interesting between Montreal and Vegas. We'll talk about that. We'll also get his opinion on the Isles and Bolts as well. But let's start off with that series in Tampa, because that is the game tonight. After game one, you thought, oh my gosh, guys, the Islanders have this in the bag. And by in the bag, I mean they're going to play tough. They're going to play solid. Kucherov, Stamkos, they're going to be non-factors. And then the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of figured it out. It also, this game was a weird, wonky game to be, to, to really start with. First, you get a goal from Braden Point. Beautiful feed by Nikita Kucherov. It's one nothing. Point gets his 10th goal of the postseason. That leads all skaters so far in these playoffs. That was a huge goal. A huge goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning because, A, they got out in front. That's big, especially against an Islanders team that loves to play with the lead. And then something wonky happened just a little bit later. Braden Point's driving the net. He gets a pass in his feet. He's driving. He's going fast. He's going hard in the net. Mama, he's going fast. Adam Pellick bumps him from behind. Point uncontrollably slides into Simeon Varlamov. Chaos ensues. Varlamov has to leave the game. Everyone is panicking right now, and Braden Point, of all people, is the one that gets a penalty. Now, Brock Nelson scores on the ensuing power play. It's one-to-one. Now, it's been a couple days since that has happened, so everyone's kind of been able to give their takes. Here's mine. It's the stupidest play in the history of hockey. I'm sorry. I am a member of the goaltending union. I know what it's like to be ran over by a guy that's driving the net hard. However, I could not count on my fingers and toes and even Pooh Bear's, well, he doesn't have fingers, but you know what I'm saying, his ears and his cute nose. I couldn't count on any of his extremities. How many times a defenseman has put an opposing player into me and I didn't even make it to the NHL. Didn't even make it to pro hockey. It's so annoying. And the worst part was early on, I thought someone ran into me, so I went after him, and that poor guy was defenseless and innocent. I mean, fighting a guy for no reason. Now, granted, 12-year-old Tyler would fight anything for any reason, but hey, that's just how it was back in those days for TJK. Yet, I see that play. Varlamov did come back. Ilya Sorokin came in, didn't give up any goals. But the fact of the matter is this. When a defenseman is trying to defend, yes, you want to do what you can, but where has it ever been? And listen, I'm not saying I'm not. this is not going to change overnight. I don't think it'll ever change. 
But when was it acceptable to just throw an opposing guy into your goaltender to say, hey, don't touch our goalie, and then you fight the guy, the guy that you literally just pushed into your goaltender, you make it seem like it was his fault. I've literally gone into my locker room and screamed at defensemen, why did you hit him into me? I was at a junior camp when I was 16 years old. These 19, 20-year-old kids who still thought they had a shot in junior hockey, they were playing, and they're big, honking guys. I was about 140 pounds. I was soaking wet, probably. I make a nice glove save. I'm kind of trying to flash it a little bit, look good for the coaches and the scouts in the stands. And the guy that took the shot was kind of gliding towards me. He was just following up his rebound. And all of a sudden, he gets drilled into me. I go into the net off the moorings it comes. And then the guy that knocked him in was fighting him because he thought, hey, you hit my goaltender. No, you hit him to hit me. It's really like the point of Billards. It's like, you're the cue ball. You clearly hit the eight ball. Or no, you're the cool stick. You're the cool stick. You're the cue stick hitting the cue ball into the nine ball. It's like the nine ball trying to get mad, mad at the cue ball, but it's actually the cue stick's fault. That's literally how it happens. And for some reason, Braden Point gets the penalty. It's confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's the wrong call. I, the reason why a penalty was called on Braden Point was because Simeon Varlamov was down. Now, this is not going to turn into a conversation of, oh my goodness, a guy is hurt, that's why there's a penalty. I'm not saying that's the reason why Mark Shifley was suspended eight games. But I digress. The point of the matter is, is that there was an injury on the play because a defenseman who thought he was doing it right was completely wrong. And it almost took Semyon Varlamov out of the series. I tweeted this out, and I got some flack for it. I tweeted out and said, because at first I thought Varlamov was staying in the game. I said, congratulations to Adam Pellick for this paraphrase. I don't have the tweet right in front of me. But I pretty much said, congratulations for Adam Pellick for almost derailing the Islander season. And then, then Varlamov went off the ice, and I retweeted back and said, take out almost. Now, yes, a lot of people say Ilya Sorokin's been really good, and I get that. He did okay in relief, and he probably could be a starting goaltender in this series if he needed to. We saw that throughout the first series and a half. The point of the matter is, though, is the fact that a defenseman almost injured their starting goaltender. That's my thing in all this, and almost took him out for the series. Now, as far as we know, it looks like it is going to be Semyon Varlamov tonight. Let's go check out our friends at leftwinglock.com the best source for starting goaltenders. And it looks like it is going to be Semyon Varlamov tonight. Good. Glad he's not injured too badly after a stupid play by a defenseman. Now, how does this carry on? Because the refs were not done yet, unfortunately. Andre Palat decided to score a goal with more than five players, five skaters, excuse me, for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second period. A great play by Nikita Kucherov. And Palat scores, and pretty much half of the team is on the ice, but nobody noticed. Now, the reason why I'm not flipping my lid over this one is because, you know, there's the, oh, it's a fast-paced game, blah, blah, but it's the fact that Matt Martin, who, dating back to his days in Toronto, always seemed to be the guy when something goes bad or it seems playing poorly, you send him out in front of the cameras with the press and he answers the questions, the tough ones. You don't have to put the kids on the spot. And Martin pretty much said, listen, it happens. We're not dwelling on it. Let's move on. Okay. If Barry Trotz were to come out and say, what the hell is going on here? Then yes, I'd probably be losing my lid as well. However, we all know Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz will just go to the refs like how he did Patrice Bergeron in that Boston series. Oh, I'm pretty sure our great officiating crew here in the National Hockey League will be sure to take care of that. How in the world is Barry... 
it's it's how you play the game. That's how you play the media game, kids. But it's so funny to see how Barry Trotz handles the media and how it's able to affect the the other team and how the game is played. Now that's just how coaches are. That's Peter DeBoer does the same thing with Vancouver or Vancouver Vegas. But that's just I mean coaches. If you that's why Bruce Cassidy got the twenty five thousand dollar fine. Good chunk of change for calling out the refs in that series against the Islanders. Reason why is because Bruce Cassidy attacked the officiating. You know, Barry Trotz brought up an issue and said, I'm sure they'll take care of it. And they did, for the most part. But that's just how you play the game, kids. So the game goes along. It's 2-1 after the plot goal. By the way, Andre Palat, his third goal of the postseason in the second period. And, oh, yeah, they're loving it. There's World Hockey Report knows this is my Toronto Rock shirt right here. Yeah, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my Toronto Rock shirt. Gotta love my NLL team there. They're gonna be the Hamilton Rocks soon, but you know that's that's how it is. You gotta if it works for a, a smaller city, absolutely. But jumping on back here to the game on Tuesday, Jan Ruta scores early in the third period, just a couple minutes in. By the way, Jan Ruta becoming the first Lightning defenseman in these playoffs to score a goal. How many didn't Victor Hedman hit ten, 10 last year? Ten or eleven? Victor Hedman did score. He made it 4-1 at that point. But I'm just saying the fact that it took these guys this long to score and the way Tampa had played in that first-round series against Florida and how they'd played against Carolina, their offense was clicking. None of it, I'm not saying none of it came from the defense. They got assists as well. But I'm saying no goals from the point. It's just, it's kind of shocking and kind of puzzling. But hey, the team's doing well. They finally get something from the back end. But, of course, we would not mention the fact that those goals happened without mentioning the name of Nikita Kucherov. But, yes, the the cap circumvention king himself, Nikita Kucherov. Yet, you would think, for a guy that didn't play the entire year, he'd be a little rusty. He's leading all skaters in points with 22 points. He picked up three apples last night in the game. My goodness, guys, in 13 games played, he has 22 points. Any guy has that point per game margin, he's making 9 or $10 million. Yes, Nikita Kucherov is making that kind of money. But that's what I'm saying. He's that good. And now I'm just saying, guys, if you want to go goals per minute or goals per 60, Steven Stamkos had a pretty good mark there last year's playoff. He scored one goal in three minutes. I could be it because he played in just three minutes because of one game due to his injury. But... Nikita Kucherov has been such a key part of the scene. We talked about it with Matt last Monday. He has been so exceptional, and there's not much more you can say about him because he's been doing this for so long, and he continues and continues, and there seems to be no sign of stopping him. Game one almost seemed like a mirage of how it went out for the Islanders, how they were able to slow everything down. Yeah, Braden Point scored, and they had a little bit of a flurry late, but we played the perfect game. Well, Tampa came out and played their game in game two, and it worked out in the end. A 4-2 victory. Matthew Barzell picks up his fifth of the playoffs late to make it a little bit more reasonable. Unfortunately, I was all said and done for the Islanders. So now tonight, game three at Nassau, which is pretty much going to be full capacity, if I'm not mistaken. I heard it's going to be a little about 13-5, 13,500 and a 14,000 plus seat arena at the Coliseum. I... First of all, I'm excited. 8 o'clock puck drops. So pl- you have plenty of time after today's show to get yourself settled in for the game. Go out and have dinner. Help your dog who's been hacking up because she got kennel cough over the weekend at the board, at the, where the place you boarded her. 
and can watch the game by eight o'clock. Perfect timing. I, you, you know that the crowd is going to be a factor and I'm not going to, with the statement I'm about to make here, it's not a knock on Tampa fans, but was it just the thing of that lightning fans are just not super loud? Am I the only person that thinks that? Like, 04 was a long time ago. 04 was pretty rowdy, but I'd say the Saddle Dome was louder than, I forgot the arena, St. Pete Times Forum, I think it was still called back in those days. But that's what I'm saying. You look at that team, like, then it was loud, but I'm like, I see, I Nassau, the Islanders have the home ice advantage, seems like, in this series because of the louder fan base. Now, that's because Islanders fans are have pent up passion for this team. They made it to the second round in 2019. They made it to the conference finals last year, but it was in Toronto in the bubble. Hey, we got Nick Alberg on. Nick, how we doing? Hold on a second, Nick. Here, let's let's do this, folks. Nick jumped in here. Let's take a quick pause here. When we come back, we'll properly introduce this fine young man here on the Kiel Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Kuehl Show, everyone. I am your host, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And if you didn't notice before the break, we are now joined by one of the awesome talents they have up there at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. He is the host, along with Gord Stelic, of pre- and post-game for Leafs Talk. Obviously not now, but that's neither here nor there. He's also one of the great guys. The Golden Muzzy himself, Nick Alberga. Nick, how are we doing, man? Tyler, I'm fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for that wonderful introduction. And I, I still can't believe uh, the Leafs couldn't get past the first round again. You know, it it's funny. We had Kyle Bukowskis on right before the North Division playoffs. And he, he, he the way he said this phrase, it just spooked me. Because I knew it as soon as he said it, I'm like, you know what? It's going to happen. He said the Montreal Canadiens are going to go as far Carey Price takes him. And I'm like, thanks, Kyle. Now I know I'm not going to be wearing any Leaf stuff after the first round. Yeah, like it, it's. I wake up every day and I'm like, how are we here? How are we in this scenario where the Montreal Canadiens have won nine playoff games? But I think it's simple, right? You, you get some timely, fantastic saves from Carey Price. who has been dialed in ever since, I would say, what, game five against the Maple Leafs. And, uh, they've written an unbelievable script. They're on fire right now, man. They... It's an incredible run, and it's so 2010-esque. The only difference being is that Carey Price didn't start the playoffs, and Yaroslav Halak came in to save the day. This has been all Carey Price. And for a guy that has yet to win a Stanley Cup, I'd say probably his best playoff run was that 2014 run up to the conference finals before Chris Kreider forgot how to skate and ran into him. But is this like just Carey Price showing, hey, I'm old, I get it, but I'm still one of the best in the league. Yeah, I, I think it's great news for Olympic fans, right? And uh, also the the fact that the Winter Olympics are just around the corner and that Carey Price is playing his best hockey. Now, if you're not a fan of the Habs, you're not liking it right now, but that's pretty much it. Uh, he is really, really locked in. I think what honestly benefited Carey Price in the long run this season was uh, the extensive layoff. I mean, we don't like to see people get injured and players get injured. He dealt with a lot, dealt with a concussion this season, but... He seemed refreshed and a different type of goalie, um, you know, to, to start that series against the Maple Leafs. I know they lit him up a bit early on, but ever since, uh, the timeliness of the goals for Montreal and then knowing they have their backbone behind them has been paramount and the reason why this team is now 
went three wins away from going to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1993. Jeez. And it's funny. I, I listened to a lot of Dan Robertson during the playoffs because I'm, when I'm driving around, I need to listen to the radio. Yeah. And it's the bummer right now because, unfortunately, I don't I don't understand French too well. And they took the Montreal English feed out and they're putting the Sports USA feed instead. And I'm like, ah, oh, I like listening to Dan and Dan and Sergio Mameso. But they kept saying, like, it's you could almost tell at some points that they are just while the games are going on, they're like surprised this is all happening because this is a Montreal team that, you know, Brian Mudrick and I jinxed at one point saying that this team's looking good to start this year, guys. They may be something. And all of a sudden they have that awful stretch in the middle. They barely squeak in. And once again, similar to last year, they are the worst team heading into the postseason and they're proving teams wrong. And I think it all starts off with guys, the young core that's or young guys that are going to be the core in the future leading by guys like Nick Suzuki and Hobie Baker award winner. I should say he's pretty good guys. Cole Caulfield. Those two guys, Nick, are exceptional. And that's why Montreal has been so good so far. Yeah, that's the tremendous part of this story for me. I think you look up the middle, like Philippe Deneau has been phenomenal. I know he's in a contract year here, but you you move back maybe six, eight weeks ago. He was an afterthought in that market, and they were just waiting for the days when Philippe Deneau would go to UFA and no longer be a Montreal Canadian. And that that conversation has has changed completely. Like, that was my biggest wonder about Montreal going into the playoffs. But I knew they had the vets. I knew they had Carey Price. Uh, You know, they had a couple guys who grind away at you and Corey Perry and and Eric Stahl. But the, the evolution, if you will, of guys like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield that can't believe he missed the first couple games to start the Stanley Cup playoffs, they're playing over their head, uh, especially Nick Suzuki, who does so many amazing things. Like Mike Hoppable, right off the top of my mind, is like a Patrice Bergeron. You don't notice him, but then you notice him. And it's like, wow, this kid's really, really good. So that was my big wonder about this team up the middle. And obviously, they've exceeded expectations right now. They are they're it's a, and they're different, too. It's not like they're just they, they just seem a lot more confident now. And that just comes with building yeah. up wins. That's how it is in hockey. And I look at their back end. They're playing tough in front of Carey Price. You have moments with their, all their defensemen. But I, I look at plays like last night where they start off strong and they don't let up. Because they, they first game, Canadians did exactly what they needed to do. They took the crowd out of it, but only for 10 minutes. Vegas started to play their game the rest of the way. But in game two, you get that goal by Yoel Armia. You get that beautiful feed from Cole Caulfield, Tyler Toffoli. A little bit of a squeaker, but still a good play. Toffoli's fifth. And it just felt like the game, even when Alex Petrangelo scored both their goals, it just felt like Vegas was not comfortable after Montreal took that lead so early. Yeah, they never had it. And quite quite honestly, you talk about goaltending. I, I didn't think Marc-Andre Fleury was, was great at all. I think from puck drop in that game, it looked like he was flopping around everywhere. And I know he's been prone to do that. And I know he's had an unbelievable season where he's the finalist here uh, for the Vezina Trophy. But I think that's my biggest wonder, too, as Vegas moves forward. I think it's easy to forget in last year's Stanley Cup playoff run that it was all about Robin Leonard and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was an afterthought. And that is the luxury of having two bona fide number ones uh, in between the pipes is, you know, intriguing to go which whatever guy you want to go with. But I think Marc-Andre Fleury, um, most importantly, I think, wants to have a bounce back effort. Um, I, I, again, timeliness comes to mind when you look at Montreal. Um, I, I think clearly they're a different team, Tyler, when they score the first goal, right? They're 9-1 here in 10 games when they score the first goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But it really is surreal when you look back at when this started in Game 5 against the Maple Leafs and this journey 
And then suddenly, like, again, they beat the Vegas Golden Knights when everybody expected Vegas just to steamroll the Montreal Canadiens. Dominic Descharm and company have done a, a tremendous job here. And, you know, it's funny. Pete DeBoer came out before this series, the media day right before game one. He said, this is a Montreal team to be taken seriously. And people are, and there's a lot of, and I, and I you know, it's funny. I bet against Montreal in round one. Didn't pick Toronto to win, but I'm like, yeah, Toronto's got to win this series. But then in round yeah. two, I'm like, okay, they're taking on Winnipeg. They just pretty much shut down the two best scorers in the league. There's no way. And then they sweep it. I'm like, okay, but they're going up against Vegas, who just manhandled for four and a half games the President's Trophy winners. It's It just seems like every single, like they take this doubt that they can feel from the media, from even from their own media and fans alike and all these people, the critics saying that they're not good enough. It almost like, builds them up and makes them play better. And I know, I don't know about you, Nick, but I always liked that when I was, someone told me, hey, Tyler, you're not good enough. Well, I'm going to try to play a lot better than that, what that guy thinks. Well, that's exactly it. Like, I, I think perception is everything, and I think it's unwarranted. I think you look back at the uh, the offseason, everybody was talking about Montreal. They made amazing moves. You know, that was the conversation. So why all of a sudden, uh, I think it's easy to forget the hot start they had, then they went in a massive tailspin. They, they can close Julian Dominic Ducharme comes in, and now all of a sudden of the underdog. Like, I didn't buy that at all, uh, especially considering what we saw against the Maple Leafs in, in five, six, seven there into the series. Again, they got the benefit of no Mark Shifley. I still don't think Winnipeg's win, winning that series with Mark Shifley in the lineup. But I think they're really, really utilizing that role of underdog, especially when everybody expected either Vegas or Colorado or Tampa to win the Stanley Cup. And now suddenly Montreal is locked in and and the best thing of all about this run is that they have the goalie to do something substantial. And I tweeted it out after they won game two against Vegas that they're going to be disrespected all the way to a 25th Stanley Cup. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen since I cover the Maple Leafs and was a Leafs fan growing up. I don't really care as much anymore. But it would just it wouldn't sit right considering the season they had, right? Yeah, it's it, – well, people forget, you know, people always say, oh, man, they won in 86-93. They're the greatest team in the history of hockey. They were no near the favorites in those two Stanley Cup runs. Like, 93 was supposed yeah. to be the Pittsburgh Penguins, their three-peat. 86, had it not been for Steve Smith, it was going to be the Edmonton Oilers on their way to winning, like, 12 in a row if Gretzky never got traded. But they still persevered, and I almost like, that's where I'm kind of getting this feeling from. It may be like that. So now this series goes back to Montreal. They're upping the fan capacity to 3,500. I know it's nothing like this. Was it 17, 16,000 they had at T-Mobile Arena the first two games? But just the fact that more fans are in the billion, the Bell Center, Nick, it's so important to that team and the fans that are going to be there as well. Yeah, and I put this out there on social media too, like, you know, how you're going from like 18,000 at T-Mobile Arena to like 3,500 at the Bell Center. I think Montreal's got to find every way to exude the most out of that 3,500 and then maybe plus. But that, having said that, it, it's like these are professional hockey players. I was chuckling way back in the first round where they asked Jason Spets, it's like we've played in front of crowds before. I understand the Bell Center is a different animal in the Stanley Cup playoffs when you're not restricted. I, I've been there to playoff games. It's so, so loud. But I think if there's a team who can weather the storm, it's probably Vegas. Like, I don't think they care that much that Montreal's crowd is going to be buzzing, that Montreal won game two. I think it's a time for adjustment for Vegas. And I think they got to figure out a couple things here when it comes to Montreal and how to score the first goal. I know it's so cliche, but you need to score that first goal, especially against Montreal. Because once Montreal is chasing, as we saw in game one, 
it's it's a way open ball game. And I, I think, you know, Vegas is more conducive to having success when they're playing that run and gun style as opposed to Montreal. Because quite frankly, I just don't know if they have the offense to compete with a team that's going to uh, score five or six on a night. So I'm not making as much about the fact that, yeah, there's 3,500. It's going to sound like, sound like 35,000. I don't think Vegas cares either. It's it's going to be a fun one. I remember that first game in game six against Toronto. I was like, it, even though it was in Sancho Bell, I was like, this is still pretty cool. Like the fact that yeah. it's it's back and, you know, there were fans allowed there for Toronto, Winnipeg, albeit very small numbers. It just means, if anything, Nick, we're going in the right direction, especially in Canada, which let's be honest, you're, you're in there. It's been a little funky this year. <laughs> Uh, funky is not the word I would uh, describe it, but uh, another I'm another happy. word that starts with F, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I got my second shot the other day. I'm feeling great, but I, I still feel like we're far away from, you know, normality or what you're seeing in the United States. Granted, you know, not to get into the debate of why it took so long to get everything going here in this country, we won't. Uh, it's just been steady, uh, you know, and people are optimistic, but still, I think they comprehend we're still far away from getting back to real life, if you want to call it that. Um, I think it's a good start. Um, I think the next thing that could be great for optimistic reasons would be the Blue Jays coming back, at least uh, with some sort of crowd. But I, I, I still think, you know, there's a beacon of hope out there that, you know, four or five, six months from now, we can just have back reality, you know? Yeah, that that would that'd be amazing. I already told the wife as soon as the borders open for us Americans to go in Canada and the Jays are in town, I'm going to pay an ungodly yeah. amount of money to go back to the Sky Dome <laughs> just so I can feel yeah. like there's some normalcy for sure. Let's touch on the other series going on, Nick. Obviously, both series tied at one. Game three tonight. I was just right before you jumped on here. We were talking about the Islanders yeah. and Tampa. Islanders played their perfect game in game one. Tampa plays a little bit more of their style in game two. Now they go back to Nassau. And we talked about just a moment ago about fans and how 3,500 may sound like 35,000, what have you. I still feel like going from Amelie Arena down in Tampa to the Coliseum in Long Island, that right there is night and day, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. And even like looking back at the first couple of games, I know they got a full barn in Tampa, but it was like really quiet. Right, um, that's what I said. Because yeah. Tampa- Tampa did it last year, and maybe it's because, you know, even even with the fact that they won in a bubble in Edmonton, I don't know. Maybe it's just they have the expectation that their team's going to win, and, and it would be great to have a fan base like that. But I want a bit more out of them. You know, like I think you'll see at the Coliseum tonight that that barn, as you mentioned, will be rocking. Not to mention, you want to talk about teams of destiny. Every uh, All four teams remaining could, could make that case, but maybe none bigger than the New York Islanders. The final season of the illustrious Coliseum to close it down with a Stanley Cup for the first time in a long, long time uh, would be a surreal story. And quite frankly, through two games in that series, I think the Islanders have been the better team. Now, uh, you look back at game two, a uh, questionable night for the officiating. I think we do forget there are humans calling these games sometimes, and human error is part of pro sports, whether we like it or not, at least in this juncture. Yeah. Um, I think power plays were a big story. The two teams combined two for nine, and I think ultimately it comes down to goaltending, where you look at Semyon Varlamov's been, a, you know, a brilliant story. Andre Vasilevsky as well, and it comes down to execution. So I think you're bang on with your assessment that the Islanders found a way in Game One, and I think that desperation level was up just a tad by Tampa in Game Two the other night. Yeah, I, I pertain. It's going back to that the Amelie Arena, the lack of sound. I looked back and I went back in my mind's eye to 04. And I said, the Saddle Dome may have been louder than St. Pete Times Forum that year in that series. 
but Tampa fans were still going crazy. But now it's like yeah. the expectation of them winning. I mean, like it's almost I. It, which one? Okay, this is a great question, Nick. Which was louder, the Amelie Arena there for Game Two or Scotiabank Arena on a Tuesday night when Toronto's taking on Florida? <laughs> Uh, exactly. It's like night and day still. Uh, you know, that's the thing too. And I think you got to be careful too with, with, you know, mics on TV that, you know, who's to say if the arena wasn't really, really loud. Right. I think there's some buildings are just normally louder than others. Like San Jose comes to mind. Everybody, I've never been to the shark tank, but everybody tells me that's the loudest building in the NHL. You know, I've been to a game in Vegas. It's pretty damn loud there. I think nothing two men has been louder than say the bell center in the Stanley cup playoffs. I went a couple of years back against Tampa and it was like deafening uh, Nashville as well. Like there's a, a lot of buildings out there. So I sort of chalked it up to maybe the microphones and the way they were placed and just the, the air out in the building as well. I'm taking nothing away from lightning fans. And I'm sure they're enthusiastic and feeling good and confident about life right now. But I think you're right. It's going to be a way different animal. I think the tailgate started four days ago for tonight's game. Oh man. It's, fans in new the new york state in general at least for teams like that like i feel like they're more passionate and i'm not going to go into the sabers too much but like buffalo fans with the bills mafia and like there's yeah. like more passionate mets fans than there are yankees fans just because they're not they're gritty the, ex- yeah that's yeah. that's probably the best way to describe it they're gritty and they're proud of their teams no matter how bad they are like when the islanders were miserable people still show up to nassau to yell people still go to ralph j wilson stadium if the bills are now the playoffs now they're doing well People are still showing up to the Buffalo Sabres games. I don't know why they will next year. They won't have any <laughs> players, but that's a, a story for a different day. They don't. They, the first overall pick doesn't even want the Owen Power doesn't even want to play there next year. That's how bad <laughs> it is. But it's going to be a fun game. What do you look at in this series? You say the Islanders looked really good. Do I dare say the words favored the rest of this way if they can get if they can really take advantage of this series on home ice? No, I still think they're a dog. I mean, clearly you're playing a team like Tampa that's flexing their muscles in terms of, uh, you know, cap circumvention, if you want to call it that. To have Nikita Kucherov back is huge. Uh, I mentioned it, power plays, special teams. But I think the Islanders did a pretty sound job, uh, you know, in game one of staying disciplined, not so much in game two. And, you know, lo and behold, they lost game two. So, I, you know, and you could say this for every series. We can say it about the other series of Montreal and Vegas. Stay out of the box, you're probably going to win. But I think especially against Tampa and the fact that that team has hovered around, what, 35 40% of the power play, like it's ludicrous, their numbers, at least in the first two rounds on the PP, which just shows you that's going to be a huge key for that series. And it comes down to execution. I, I think you look at Tampa, there's just so many guns, and it seems like Braden Point scores big goal after big goal. Um, you know, Victor Hedman, I think, has nine goals in 13 career Stanley Cup playoff games against the Islanders, which just leads me to believe that, again, while this Islanders story has been tremendous, I still think they're the underdog in this series. And until you you beat the best, you you know you got to be the best to beat the best kind of thing. Um, and I sort of screwed that up with Rick Flair, but you know what I'm saying. Rick's not going to come into your place up there in Toronto and give you a knife edge chop. The borders aren't open yet, Nick. It's okay. You got a little bit of time to prepare yourself. But you know, it's to be the best, you got to beat the best. There, there, you go. there it goes. Woo! That's how you got to do it. Right? But um, I. I love, like, for me, I love the fact that having fans, again. like, last year it was like, okay, at least we have hockey. It's weird without fans, but now it's like, all right, we're having fans again. It feels good. But the yeah. two of the, we mentioned the two teams, the two underdogs in the final four, the Islanders and Montreal. Both of their general managers, along with Bill Zito of Florida, have been named for the GM of the year award. We'll leave you here with this, Nick. Who do you think is more deserving of this award? Even though, if you ask me, it's the, it's almost like the Jack Adams. Like, all right, which team 
you know, it was not supposed to be good, but they are good. That's why you picked the coach and the GM because the GM helped make this team good enough. I mean, which who do you think deserves to be the GM of the year this year? It's important to quantify, first and foremost, what the award means. But number two, when when it was sort of pulled. And from my understanding, it was after the second round. So I think you put it this way. The, the New York Islanders and Lula Amarillo walked away with the award last year. He's done a tremendous job. You look at his key deadline pickups in Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac, and you point your finger and say, that's pretty damn good. And oh, everybody on social media today was talking about the Devon Taves trade, but you sort of forget they had to make that deal to free up some money to sign others, right? And exactly. I can tell you right now, if Taves wasn't dealt, then they wouldn't have Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajak right now on their roster. Not to mention this team has done a lot of their heavy lifting without their captain in Anders Lee. So to me, and taking nothing away from Bill Zito, I think he did a great job. It's probably between uh, clearly uh, Lou Lamorello, but I think it's got to be Bergevin. And, you know, I'm just curious to see how, how they voted more so on this perception, or maybe you don't even want to call it perception that North Division was was less than every other division. Because last time I checked, it's 1-1 between Vegas and Montreal, so the Habs are doing something right. And you just look at the moves that Mark Bergevin made last offseason, everything seems to be coming up Mark Bergevin. So I think he wins the award this year. How do you feel? I, I have no question about it. I, when I looked at the offseason moves, I'm like, well, Montreal's making some hay here. They... And, of course, they made a nice deadline move to get Eric Stahl. He's not being a huge point guy, but you just need guys like that in the room in the playoffs. And he did the little things. He didn't go out and make the humongous trade that everyone thought. I mean, unless it was convincing Cole Caulfield to come up and play for his team. I don't know. Unless if that's your big move, then that's pretty good. I mean, like I said, he was only the best player in college hockey. I I mean, you're right. And to defend that, I I think, you know, very – you don't, not very often you get a team where everybody's talking about them coming out of the offseason. They, do they do something substantial? Like they, they live up to the pressure, right? Because I think you look at last offseason, most of the heavy lifting was done for Montreal. And they were pretty cap strapped after that. You know, you know, every, everything they did with, with the, the Max Domi trade, Josh Anderson, I think was massive. Oh, yeah. And Tyler Toffoli, you know, the extensions they laid in hand, uh, you know, Brennan Gallagher is one of them. Like, I, I didn't expect much out of Montreal come deadline time. I thought it was a really good pickup at the time of Eric Stahl. Clearly, didn't work out in the regular season. But you look at that UFA line, I, I like to talk about it. Like, even Corey Perry's the guy they picked up really, really late, who was on their taxi squad for a big chunk of the early That's part right. of the season. Yoel Armia's in a contract here. They picked up Armia a couple of years back just to pick up Steve Mason's contract because Winnipeg wanted to eat it, right? So, it's just those little things along the way. And I really didn't expect a big-time move from Montreal because I think, obviously, they felt really confident in what they did last offseason. Yeah, the, that's why I think Bergman gets it. And it, it's so funny with Montreal, and it's similar with Toronto as well. It's similar with pretty much every market in Canada. The It's in waves how people feel about the coaches and GMs. At one yeah. point, Bergman at the beginning of the year, it's like, oh, he's great. And then they start thinking, like, see, this is why we should fire him. And all of a sudden, look at that. Yeah. They're in the semifinals. All of a sudden, sign this man forever. Jeff Molson, get out the bank statement. Last well, question. Well, that, that's... No, no, I was just going to add, too, like, that's the amazing thing about me because, uh, you know, I think you look at, I think it was game six, uh, or no, game five. Like, they, they showed Mark Bergevin pacing around, and then Montreal wins an OT. Like, I felt strongly about the fact that if Montreal lost that series against the Maple Leafs, that Mark Bergevin would be out of a job. And then next thing you know, a month later, we're talking about GM of the year. What a what a change in, in philosophy, eh? It's, it's weird. People, I mean... It's waves. It, and Jeff Merrick put yeah. it the best way once in Hockey Central. Leafs fans and Habs fans alike, it is literally every game is a season. 
Like, you win a game, it's the greatest team in the history of mankind. You lose a game, it is miserable to be on the press side of things. Yeah, but yeah pretty much. Nick, last question here. Quick answer. I'm going to say it. You have to give a quick answer. Who's winning the cup? Vegas. Ah. I, I got to go with Vegas still. How about you? Oh, man, I'd have to say Vegas, too. I love the underdog. I love the Isles. Love the Habs. That would be a great series to watch. Viewership would suck in the United States, but I don't care. I would be all for it. We have been chatting. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Nick. No, I was just going to say, I just, I I like what Vegas, I I like the depth of that team. Uh, They got two number one goalies, two number one defensemen. I think a key moving forward here to game three is that Marchessault line was really, really quiet. I just think they have enough to get over. Um, and, you know, I, I think the Islanders are going to get through on the other side. Man, it's going to be, no matter what, it's going to be a fun final. Fans galore. Oh, my gosh. Nassau fans in the finals. <laughs> getting me all excited here. It's going to be a fun rest of the playoffs. Make sure you follow Nick, guys, at the Golden Muzzy there on Twitter. Check out he does daily stuff, daily game previews with Jackie Redman there on Twitter. Awesome stuff those guys do. Nick, what else are you up to these days? That's it. Just living the life in a uh, pandemic world and just uh, looking forward to the future, my man. All right. I'll go out to a bar for you here tonight there for you. I'll have a drink out in public. Thank you. Nick, thanks again, man. We'll definitely talk later. All right. My pleasure. That was Nick Alberga from Sportsnet 5. Oops. Oops, it easies. Guys, I hit the wrong button. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, that was Nick Alberga. I was supposed to cut him out, not me. Tyler Kuehl is still here in studio, but it's okay. We got me here. That was Nick Alberga. Fun guy to chat with, as always. Certainly fun to hang out with. And make sure, like I said, check him out, at the Golden Muzzy on Twitter. Someone called me right in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> someone called me there in the middle of the interview. I don't even know who it was. But uh, just about 15 minutes left here on this quick shift edition of TKS. Like I said, of course, if you missed that interview, if you just caught the end of it, it's okay, guys. No need to panic. You can check it out later on the Kula Show YouTube channel. There is your replay as well as your favorite podcatcher. We are on there all the time. Peyton Turnage giving us breaking news. Murder Hornets are returning. Nice. That's about par for the course here in 2021. Let's talk about that news here. The GM of the Year Award was announced. I wanted to get... Next take on it because what we were talking about the Islanders and the moves Bergevin made or Lamarillo made and Bergevin made with the Canadians. Bill Zito, like I said, is the other one. Bill Zito, I think, was more or less the Bill Zito made a couple moves. He got Patrick Hornquist. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other moves off the top, man. I'm probably missing a couple of big ones, but he he didn't seem like and he did sign Spencer Knight. But you know, I he didn't make or didn't have as much of an impact. Sorry, as I tried not to burp here on on air, he didn't have as much of an impact as, say, you know, Lou Lamorello, who brought in say Jack and Paul Mary, Paul Mary, who's one of the top goal scorers in these playoffs, Bergevin, who brought in Gallagher, traded for Josh Anderson. While Anderson hasn't been as big in this series so far against Vegas, he's been a very key player for the Habs during the regular season, big time goal scorer. And you lost Max Domi, who. Let's be honest. Then again, he went to a really bad Columbus team, but he hasn't done much since leaving Montreal. So I, I'm, yeah, I'd say Bergevin's probably the guy in the GM of the year award. It's a tough, it's a tough one to go for, a tough one to bet on, but you never know. You never know who may get it, but we'll just have to wait and see who gets it during awards time. Some other news. Let's go off with the the cool, the good feeling news here. Kevin Hodgson, 
former Red Wings goaltender, former Tampa Bay goaltender, Calgary native, wins the 2021 Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. That's pretty cool, if you ask me. I like that's kind of that's a real good feel good story. Hodgson does this thing called Heroes Program, which is hockey education reaching out society. I'm reading this from the NHL release. I do apologize. I didn't really memorize it. Uh, which serves, uh, he serves as executive director. It works with at-risk youth, with youth who experience physical and cognitive challenges, providing them with a safe, inclusive, on-ice environment. The non-ice, the nonprofit has 28 programs operating in 12 cities across Canada, which consists of both on-ice hockey programming with off-ice opportunities for personal development and scholarship assistance. Over the past two decades, 10,000, nearly 10,000 kids have participated in the program. Congratulations to Kevin Hodgson, doing some awesome in the world, using hockey to do it. Fun guy. I remember he did a couple of fun like commercials back in the day. He was with Detroit. Seems like a very fun guy to hang out with. He was Chris Osgood's backup in the 97-98 season. And when Mike or Mike Vernon got traded to San Jose, they needed a backup for Ozzy. So Kevin Hodgson took over from there. Now, if you look, people, some people look at Kevin Hodgson nowadays like he was an NHL goaltender. I'm like, listen, it was the 90s kids. But great guy, awesome story there. Speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Jason Spezza signed a one-year $750,000 contract. This, kids, is big news because of the fact that Jason Spezza has been a pretty good player. Been a pretty good player indeed. And he's still willing to make minimum wage. And everyone, and because let's be honest, I think Spezza... When he came to Toronto, he was just wrapping up in Dallas, the $5 million contract. I think it was five or so. It was something ridiculous. And he was not worth it. It was the end of the line. He was not. It's clearly a rough go in Dallas towards the end there. The team started to fall off anyways. So you wondered, all right, what's next for him? He signs for minimum wage. That's pretty good. Plays pretty well. I'm like, all right, let's bring him back again. Okay, he does well here again, 2021 season. So now what? He's got to be worth a million dollars, right? He was a big-time playoff performer. He produces during the regular season as well. The team likes him. The guys like him. He's got to be worth a million or two. Nope, 750K. So, of course, he gets asked about it during the presser or the Zoom press conference following. And what happens? He says that he would take less. Paraphrasing, of course. He'd be willing to take less for that contract. It's so impressive to hear that because I've always said on this show First of all, I would play the NHL for Timbits, free Timbits every day. But there are so many guys that are, it's going to put a lot of players in your minds of who you think when I say this, but kind of self-centered or self-aware of what they're, they think they're worth, but they want what's best for them. Very selfish is a better way to, do, to describe it. And it ends up hurting the team in some form. Now, yes, there are some general managers out there that are able to find a way to keep Nikita Kodrop on the side. I mean, keep you know, the cap, the salary cap under what the NHL allows it to be for each team. But that's because there's so many big contracts. There was issues with that with Alex Kalorn for a little bit. There's a lot of players out there that think they're worth more and they want more. Now, granted, not everyone plays where they grew up cheering for, where they grew up living. Obviously, the big one for me is always Ryan Suter because Ryan Suter's wife was from Minnesota, that's why he signed in Minnesota. Zach Parise is from Minnesota. That's why he wanted to sign for a long time in Minnesota. They signed big contracts because they both knew Minnesota was not the best team. Now, yes, Minnesota has still competed well and made playoffs since they signed. However, it's a little bit different when you sign that big kind of money. Jason Spezza 
is almost the first guy in a long time that I've heard say, I want to play here. I want to be on this team and we can win. So I'm going to take almost next to nothing to be here. Which ties in then to the Zachary Hyman contract. World Hockey Report, right here you find on 12-Ounce Sports, they put out a very interesting tweet the other day saying, if you don't think Zach Hyman is worth $6 million, paraphrasing him once again, that you pretty much don't understand it. He's a 30 to 40-point winger who plays hard, plays tough, and can score. That is, yes, in today's hockey, at least even despite the flat cap, that's close to a 5 to $6 million hockey player. But Zach Hyman is a Toronto Maple Leaf. He was born a Leafs fan. Born and raised in Toronto. His children's books are selling galore in Toronto. Why would he want to leave? I don't, pardon me, I don't think he wants to leave. That's, scratch that, reverse that. He doesn't want to leave. But I'm hoping, I would like to think, I'd like to believe that when he hears what Spezza said, he goes, you know what? It's a really good point. This team is really good. I said it on this program. Who thought that this team was actually going to fall apart in that first round? This team was perfectly built. They had the toughness, the skill, the defense, and the goaltending. They ran into a team of Cinderella. So, Spetz says, I want to keep, pretty much saying, let's keep this team together any way we can. If they could get Zachary Hyman at a decent contract, could you imagine the scenario that would be. I'm just checking on something here. Going to their cap friendly. Because obviously it's where we have to go. By the way, Henrik Zetterberg is an unrestricted free agent, <laughs> according to capfriendly.com. Him along with a couple other, well, a lot of players are, but Henrik Zetterberg is still on there because his contract finally ended in Detroit, even though he is retired. The Toronto Maple Leafs right now heading into, get out of here, you dumb ad. They have, holy moly, wait, is this, are they still on this season? Okay, they are still on this season. Okay, that makes sense. It says they only have 120 grand left. Well, that's because this is this season. Next season, they currently have projected 20, almost 25 million in cap space. So here's who they have to sign, or guys who are going to be UFA. So there's going to be some dumb names here, but just go with it. Alex Galchenyuk, who was making 1.05. Not a bad contract for a guy like his stature. Nick Foligno, that's seemingly like a guy that's going to go back to Columbus. He wanted a shot to win a cup. He'll probably go back to the Blue Jackets next season. Wayne Simmons, I'm pretty sure people liked having him there. I did. I love the Wayne train. Love the Scarborough boy being home. Zachary Hyman, like we mentioned, he was making 2.25. Riley Nash, who the Leafs got at the deadline as well. He was making 2.75. I don't know with that. Obviously, Jumbo Joe Thornton, he was a guy that the players loved having around. It replaced the Patrick Marlowe, so you had the dad figure there. I think the team needed that. So I wonder what his plan's going to be. He made minimum next. He made minimum as well. Also, UFA, Zach Bogosian, who was a, you know, silent, but a very key player. He rarely ever, we rarely ever brought up his name, which is the best thing to say about a defenseman. Didn't make any mistakes. Was he glamorous? No, but then again, Zach Bogosian's really never been glamorous. 
Ben Hutton, who the Leafs got the deadline as well, he's also a guy that is a UFA, made 950K. Uh, Martin Marincin has signed overseas, so we are not going to be seeing him. No worry about him. Travis Dermott, though, is an Urfa with arbitration eligibility. So that's going to be something. He was only making 875 grand, which I believe he has to make, I think, 125% his contract or 150%. He has to get a pay raise of at least over a million dollars. Frederick Anderson, obviously, is a UFA, as is big save Dave Riddick. The only goaltender they have signed for next year that has played the NHL is Jackson Campbell. You still have guys. You also have Ian Scott, who has been injury-prone ever since junior, which sucks because he was so good there for Prince Albert. He's the only other goaltender, him and, uh, him and Michael Hutchinson, which I still don't understand why Michael... Like, what happened to Hutchinson? He, I thought he was playing fine this year, but I want to... Th- I want to know what moves are going to be. It sounds like if you can get everyone to sign for the right dollar amount, you can pretty much keep this team. Who do you really want to get rid of is the question. That's the hard part in all this. Obviously, you're going to have Nick Robertson up there, so that's going to be added to the cap. I don't see why Nick Robertson's not a Toronto Maple Leaf next year. I don't see why he's not a Maple Leaf next year. Hear me out there, Sheldon Keefe. How about Dennis Malgan? Let's bring him up. Kidding. Kidding. Not going to bring him up at all. So, Jason Spezza signs for 750K, hoping that helps him, helps the team out in some facet or another. And, of course, probably the biggest news of the day that does not pertain to the teams in the playoffs. How about this? Roderick Brindamore, Rod Brindamore, finally signs his three-year deal with the Carolina Hurricanes, which we reported a month ago here on this program. Now, granted, it was more or less speculation, I don't know if it's for sure $1.8 million, like we said here on TKS. However, that right there is a big move because that only means that, well, Rod Brindamore's guys were taken care of, which is important. Now, yes, Tommy Dundon has done has publicly come out and said that coaches are paid way too darn much. They don't need to be paid as much as they are. They don't need to make Babcock or Quinville money, yada, yada, yada. Now, granted, Tommy Dundon is a cheapskate. However, Brindamore pretty much took nothing to stay coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. He probably could. However, I think the thing is, and this is what I've been hearing from everybody, Brendan Moore didn't want to leave Carolina. Like, he would have signed for nothing. Like, if they didn't want to sign him for anything, and be like, fine, I, I just, I'll, I'll stay here. I'll just hang out around the rink, whatever. And, you know, hey, guys, good luck out there tonight. Have fun. Go, go, go play tough against Washington there. See you guys. Like, that, he wasn't going to leave Carolina. wasn't going to leave Raleigh. That's what kind of the feeling was. I, I'm sure Rod Brendamore got called by other teams. I'm sure Ronnie Francis gave him a ring and said, hey, buddy, uh, you want to come play for my new team up here in Seattle? Move the family up here. It's pretty nice. I got coffee, coffee galore. I know you like coffee. I really wonder if, if there were outside discussions with him from other clubs. I'm just saying, though, that... <laughs> It's a steal that he's going to, for as much as it's reported that he's been signed for, every team in the league is going to look at that and say, man, this coach is better than our coach, and we're paying our coach like four times as much. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true or not, a little bit of a hyperbole, but you know what I'm saying, guys. Roderick Brendamore, though, staying in Raleigh, coaching the Carolina Hurricanes. So that is it, though, for this week's episode of The Kill Show mainly because I'm tired and I got to go make sure my dog didn't vomit everywhere. Oh, it's not, she's not vomiting. It's she's coughing up phlegm. 
with this kennel cough. We've given her drugs. We've been going to keep giving her drugs. Hopefully she gets better. It's a lot of cleanup, consistent cleanup. It's like when you first have a puppy and she's always peeing everywhere. Well, this time she's just hacking everywhere. However, sometimes she likes to clean up her own mess. Oh, boy. That's that's a thing, too. But we'll be back Monday. Typical two and a half hour. Maybe not a full two and a half hours. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know if I can make it a full two and a half hours. (laughs) Again, I don't know if I can ever go back to that. But we'll wait and see. Maybe we'll go three hours. Heck, we'll tell tell, uh, the rando we'll have to go overtime. TKS. But until then, I'm Tyler Kuehl saying enjoy game three tonight between the Islanders and Tampa. And then game three tomorrow night between the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm Tyler Kuehl. You can follow us at The Kuehl Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out the replay on The Kuehl Show YouTube channel and on your favorite podcatcher coming up tomorrow. But until then, I'm Tyler Kuehl saying so long. We'll see you next time here on The Kuehl Show. Goodbye!